So please listen to the reading of God's word as Teresa reads our sermon text. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Oh God, you are great, and you are good. God, you are Lord, and you are King. And God, we come before you in worship, and we come before you to submit our lives to you. You are God, and we are the sheep of your pasture. And God, we pray that you'd help us to hear your voice today and not harden our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> When I was in high school, uh, we used to go on a field trip every year up to New York City for a few days. And I remember as we're walking the streets of New York, how excited some of my friends were to finally buy a pair of Oakleys for 20 bucks on the street. The only thing was these weren't authentic Oakleys. They were counterfeit knockoffs of the real thing. They looked pretty close to the originals, but there was always something that was just quite, not quite right about them. Sometimes Oakley wasn't even spelled correctly. <laughs> you know, increasingly in our world, we have to discern between what is authentic versus what is counterfeit. With the rise of AI, deep fakes, and disinformation on the internet, it's difficult to always know what is real and what isn't, what sources can be trusted and which ones can't. But this isn't an entirely new phenomenon just related to the advancement of technology. We recently began a new sermon series walking through the book of Galatians. It's a letter that Paul is writing to a group of churches that he planted a number of years before. And he's writing to them out of care and concern. See, they've begun to wander away from the true gospel. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. 
and what it means to know him, what it means to follow him. And they're wandering away into a false gospel away from Jesus. And so Paul's calling them back to what is true, calling them back to who is true, to Jesus Christ and him crucified. But part of the challenge is that false teachers have come into these churches and have sowed seeds of distrust, not only in the message that Paul has been preaching, but in Paul himself. The Galatians are having a hard time discerning what is authentic and what is counterfeit. Maybe you've been there before on your spiritual journey. Maybe you're there right now, unsure, uncertain of what is actually true. Can the Bible actually be trusted? Is Jesus even really real? Maybe you're wrestling with unbelief. So as we come to our text today, what we're going to see Paul do is he's going to help the Galatians and us see that the message that Paul preaches is the authentic gospel and that he can be trusted as its messenger. But to do that, Paul's not going to list off his credentials. In this section right here, he's not going to make any grand theological arguments. He'll do that later in the book of Galatians. No, what he'll do is he'll share his own story of grace. And I'm excited to dive into this part of Galatians with you as I've been studying it on my own this week and in the context of community, I've been really encouraged by the authentic gospel and its radical effects. And I hope you'll be encouraged too, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey this morning. And that for all of us, it will lead us to glorify God and to tell others about how great his grace really is. So let's dive into Galatians chapter one and may God bless the preaching of his word. Last week, we saw the seriousness of the situation as Paul quickly went from his opening salutations in this letter to a strong rebuke of the Galatians. In verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you're deserting him who called you so quickly. And without mincing words, he says to the Galatians and us, verse 9, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, anyone, including Paul, is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. That word of cursed is a strong word. It means let him be damned. Like I said, Paul and his gospel are under attack, not from the Galatian churches in particular, but by those who've come in spreading false teaching and false information about Paul. And so Paul's feeling strong. He, he cares for the Galatian church, and so he's speaking with this strong language. So we have to understand all the context of what's going on here, and these false teachers, what they're doing, as one scholar put it, is they're saying Paul is a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. So this maligning, this dismissing of Paul and his message, which I realized didn't just happen then, it's happened all throughout time. Thomas Jefferson, in speaking about Paul, said he is the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. And it continues to today with people rejecting what Paul says, what Paul teaches that we read in the New Testament as if it's different than what Jesus said and what Jesus taught. So Paul's seeking to help the Galatians. He's seeking to help us here in 2023 understand that he is trustworthy because what he teaches is the true, real, authentic good news. Not a cheap knockoff. So this leads him now to speak about how he thinks about himself and his message in relation to his hearers. 
And so we're going to look at two short points and then one longer one and finish with applying it to our lives here and now. The first thing that we see is that the authentic gospel produces servants of Christ. Look at verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love this. Paul isn't seeking the approval of people, including the Galatians. Certainly not the false teachers. No, Paul's only concern is to be faithful to God, faithful to the gospel, and faithful to what he's been called to do. Now, he's going to give a whole lot more reason for that in the next section, but what we see here is how Paul identifies himself. He says he's a servant of Christ. That word servant in the New Testament can be translated as slave, as bond servant, or servant. What it means is that his life is fully submitted to Jesus. Jesus is Lord and King. This isn't a job change for Paul. This is foundational to his identity. He defines himself this way. It defines who he is. Now, Paul doesn't fear God over man or seek to please God because he needs to earn God's favor. He's not trying to get brownie points with God. No, he fears God over man. He seeks to please God because he's already been given God's unmerited favor, God's grace. And his life will never be the same. There's a superseding force in Paul's life now. And that's the reality that he has a relationship with the living God. It's a freeing force in his life. See, Paul once lived for himself, but he's been remastered by grace. And so now he seeks to serve Jesus by serving Jesus' people in whatever way God would have him. See, Paul's confidence then is not in himself, but it's in Christ because he's secure in Christ. You and I can do the same. We can have the same. There have been many times in my life where I've wrestled with the seeking of the approval of man rather than God. I mean, I like to be liked. But God's helped me time and again, sometimes through the discipline of really challenging circumstances and humbling situations, usually involving other professing Christians, to be stripped down and humbled to not much of anything in order to locate my identity again in the right place and to stand secure in who I am in Jesus, not what other people think about me. Now, that's hard, but it really is freeing. So listen, if you wrestle with this, seeking the approval of others more than God, there's hope for you, there's freedom for you too, because listen, Jesus has you. Be who you are in him. See, Paul can say all of this. He can speak in this way, not fearing man or looking for the approval of others because he knows he has the authentic gospel. And he wants the Galatians to have confidence in this message, the message of the authentic gospel because of its source and because of its effects, which is where he goes next. The next thing we see in this text is that the authentic gospel is from God. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, for I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Galatians are being tempted to walk away from the gospel that Paul has preached to them because these false teachers are spreading misinformation. 
that the message that Paul has been preaching is man-made. The irony is, is that the message that the false teachers are preaching is man-made. So Paul's telling them the source of his gospel. You want to know where I got this from? It wasn't in a book. It's not from a class. It's not from any regular person. The message that I preach, Paul says, this message of grace and grace alone is from the real and risen Jesus himself. See, like water that is more pure when, it, when we get it from the source of the spring instead of downstream, the message Paul is proclaiming is from the headwaters of grace. It bubbles up out of the empty tomb. It isn't contaminated downstream like the message of the false teachers that they're preaching. It's a message that adds junk to the purity of what Jesus has already done. Dying in our place for our sin, us not needing to bring anything in order to be reconciled to God, but placing all of our hope and trust in him and him alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. See, Paul wants the Galatians to know this because if and when they realize this, if and when we realize this, that it's from the direct source, it changes everything. Now, there's something unique to this. No one can actually really validate what he's saying here that he got this message of grace from God himself, from Christ. But he'll make it all the more evident of why that's true and what he shares next. That's where we'll spend most of our time. But before we get to that, there's something for us to learn, something for us to consider here. God revealed himself to Paul in a unique way. You and I don't have a direct revelation from the risen King of Kings in this way. And if we're honest, I don't think we would or should really trust anyone who comes to us now and says, well, God gave me something new, this new revelation. Why? Because he's revealed himself most fully and clearly through his living and active word. You and I learn the truth about God. We learn the truth about ourselves in relation to God. We learn the truth of the gospel of grace that's all throughout the scriptures in the scriptures in the Bible. But like Paul, while the message contained in here is written by men, it isn't from men. What we have contained in these pages from beginning to end is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, meaning it too is direct from the source. It's from God. And so Paul had confidence in his message because he knew he got, it, he got that message straight from Jesus. So he's unswerving in his commitment to it. No matter what anyone else around him said or taught, his confidence in its truthfulness isn't because it's been validated by anyone. His confidence in its truthfulness is rooted in the character and the nature of the one who revealed it to him, the holy, perfect, glorious, righteous, awesome king of creation. See, all of the apostles' teachings, including Paul's, which make up the majority of the New Testament, are rooted in this reality. What that means for you and I is that we can also have confidence in this word from beginning to end for the same reasons, because it's not from man it is God's revelation to us and for us. It leads us to life in him. So listen, if you've never really spent any time reading the Bible, if you're struggling, even as a follower of Jesus right now, to spend time in God's word, reading the scriptures, let me encourage you to take a step in that direction. And if you're looking at this going, this is a long book, I don't know where to start. 
If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we'd encourage you to start in one of the Gospels, maybe the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark. If you struggle, even as a believer, to know what it looks like to actually read God's word regularly, let somebody around you know. Any of the pastors or leaders here, your community group leader would love to talk to you and help you learn what it looks like to spend time in God's word. Paul knows that this statement that he makes here is bold, that he got this message, this gospel from God. And so to help the Galatians and us, he also shows us our third point, that the authentic gospel radically transforms lives. What Paul does over the next 12 verses is he gives us a short autobiography. And like any autobiography that you might read, there's always some interesting facts and insights into a person's life. But autobiographies sometimes can be a little strange with subtle or not so subtle undertones of self-importance. Like, look at me. Look at my life. But that's not what's going on here with Paul. He, he's not sharing his story here as a matter, uh, matter of self-importance. This isn't really about him at all. No, he's testifying to the radical realities of grace in his life. And he's doing so as a means of validating the message he's preaching. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. After Jesus died and rose again, those who placed their hope in him, their faith in him, in order to be reconciled to God, were born again. They were made new and they became the church. We saw some of this as we were walking through Acts chapter 2 a few weeks ago. But Paul was not one of those people. He wasn't one of those people, but he also was not disinterested or ambivalent towards the church. He hated the church. He believed the church was built on lies, that it was blasphemous and ultimately dishonoring to God. And so Paul took it upon himself to violently oppose it and seek to destroy it. He was zealous for the things of God, or so he thought, advancing in Judaism, but he was blinded, blinded from seeing what was actually true and actually real. He had zeal, but it was zeal without knowledge. Then comes one of the best words in all of the New Testament, the word but. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. There's so much richness going on here. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, we learn he was on his way to Damascus with letters in hand that gave him permission to take captive any followers of Jesus he met along the way. But instead of encountering Christ's followers, he encountered the risen Christ. In this moment, in the days following, Paul's life was forever and eternally changed. The one who had been the persecutor of the church was saved by grace through faith in the real and risen Jesus. Paul believed in that moment that Jesus died and rose again to pay for all of Paul's sin and all of his rebellion, past, present, and future, even his desire to destroy Jesus' people and Jesus' church. But we have to understand how radical this is on multiple levels. First, again, Paul didn't find Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He hated Jesus. Now, Jesus found Paul. 
And he called him out of darkness into light, from death to life. And the second thing we see that's crazy about this is this was part of God's plan before Paul was even born. God set Paul apart to be saved. He set him apart to be rescued from his sin, even his murderous hatred of his people. But he didn't do that because Paul was worthy of it. He didn't do that because Paul was a good add to God's team. Like, man, he's gonna help me score some runs here. I gotta get this guy on my team. No, he did this not because Paul deserved it. He did this because of his loving kindness and his lavish grace. Paul's own conversion reiterates it is by grace alone and not works that anyone is saved. But I think we can maybe still not quite get this. It can be lost on us in 2023 here in America to realize how radical of a change this is. This wasn't switching allegiances or teams. It wasn't going from being a fan of the commanders to a fan of the cowboys or a fan of the hot spurs to an Arsenal fan. No, Paul was a terrorist of the church. This would be like a Hamas commander deciding to not only become Jewish, but support the state of Israel. If that's not radical enough, we see that the persecutor didn't just become a part of God's family, the persecutor became a preacher of God's grace. Again, verse 15 and 16, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, for what reason? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not, and then he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. See, see, what we see going on here is that God didn't just save him from all of his sin and say, hey, you were really bad though. <laughs> so I'm just gonna set you on the sidelines. Like, I'll save you. I'll bring you into the edge of my kingdom. Like, just let you in. But like, you really messed up. No, he, he saves him and then he sends him to proclaim grace, the same grace that saved him to the nations. But he says, again, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul's been saved, and now in this moment, he's commissioned by the real and risen Jesus to go and to preach, but Paul doesn't immediately go up to Jerusalem. He doesn't jump in with the other apostles. Jerusalem, where everything is happening at that point in time, he doesn't join the speaking circuit. He doesn't sign any book deals. No, he goes into obscurity. If you look at this map on the screen, he can, we can see where Jerusalem is in the south. He's heading, he was going to Damascus. That was where he met Christ. And so he comes to know Christ and he continues to go into that place, into that area to spend time presumably with Jesus, to grow as a new follower of Christ. He's actually going the opposite direction of where everything is happening right now in the early church. Then Paul says, verse 18 through 21, he says, then after three years, three years, it's not a short amount of time, after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, it was Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Caesarea. Why is he saying all this? 
He's saying all this both to show that he spent considerable time in obscurity and to show that the gospel message he preaches wasn't passed on from the apostles or anyone else. He wasn't charged or commissioned by them to go and propagate this good news. Paul didn't invent this message or inherit this message from anywhere or anyone. He didn't need any of that. His life transformation itself was already testimony to the validity of it all. No, all of it, his conversion and his commission, all of it came from Jesus. He went to Jerusalem not to seek fame, but just fellowship with new brothers and sisters in Christ, with these two men in particular who'd actually lived life with Jesus. And then he goes back out to preach and proclaim Christ in places that the church in Jerusalem had not yet gone, into Syria and Cilicia, It was almost a preview of his formal ministry that would come later, including the planting of these churches in Galatia. But I love what Paul says next, verses 22 through 24. And it says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul was still unknown to the early church. Instead, they just heard about what had happened. The persecutor has become the preacher, and God deserves all the praise and glory for that because there is no other explanation apart from him. That's what we do when we hear stories of grace and the radical effects of the gospel. We glorify God. When anybody comes to know Christ, we glorify God. The fact that anyone is saved from their sin is a miracle. Does it matter if you grew up in the church and you became a follower of Jesus at an early age or you were in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 70s? Whatever it is, it's always a miracle. It's always something to glorify God for. That's what the church in Judea did when they heard about Paul. So again, why is he telling them all of this? Why is he telling us all of this? Because this is why they should listen to him. This is why we should listen to him. See, Paul's CV isn't a long list of accolades and accomplishments and degrees. It's a radically transformed life. This is Paul's life, but it's really a story of what God has done and what God does. It's undeniable that he is different than who he was before, but that wasn't because of self-help. It wasn't because of some other gospel. It was because of the grace given him when Jesus invaded his life. He had the book smarts, He says in Philippians that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the Hebrew Bible, but he needed Jesus to give him life and to light a fire to all that he knew. Now, when Paul thought about the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, all of it started to make sense now. This is all about God's rescue mission to redeem, to save those who are far away from him. His credibility then doesn't come through his own charisma or his personal connections. What Paul's essentially saying is, listen to me. Listen to my message of grace, not because of my pedigree or who I know, because of its source and the effect of the authentic gospel you see on display in my life. This is a humble way of Paul establishing his authority and the authority of this message. He's basically saying, look, I'm just like you. I need as much grace as you do. Paul's former life doesn't disqualify him from being a preacher of the word. It actually gives credence 
to his being a preacher of the word, to this gospel message because of this radical change. Again, nothing else can explain it. Listen, the same is true for you and me. When you trust in Christ, when you repent and believe in Christ, you are not defined by your past sins and your former life. You are a new creation in Christ. You are made new to make him known. So what are you and I to do? What are we to take away from all of this? So I want us to understand that we have the same authentic gospel today. That's amazing in and of itself to think that here we are some 2,000 years later preaching the same message that Paul preached, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And because of that, these same three things are also still true. The authentic gospel still produces servants of Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you too have a new identity. You're not held captive to how others view you because you know how God views you. He's adopted you into his family. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He's commissioned you to go and tell others about him. So now you can live in the freedom to serve Christ wholeheartedly wherever he has you. The gospel does that work in your life. The authentic gospel is still from God. Amidst the myriad of distractions and the voices all around us preaching a different message of hope, a different message of where to find your identity that attempts to pull you away from what is true about you and your life with God, remember that the only pure source of truth is God. And he's given you the best news in all the world. So listen to him. The authentic gospel still radically transforms lives. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Redeeming Grace Church, and such were some of you. You can locate yourself in that list somewhere. All of us are idolaters, false worshipers, or worship false gods. Such were some of you, but, but by God's grace, you were washed, you were regenerated, you were made new, you were justified in the name of Christ. You know, sometimes people want to criticize our faith in Jesus, saying that believing in Jesus, that's a crutch. As if to say you're of weak mind if you're a Christian, weak heart if you're a Christian. You need something to prop you up in life instead of being self-made or self-sufficient. But I say, no, the authentic gospel where I add nothing, I bring nothing but my rebellion, Nothing but my sin is more than a crutch because the reality is I wasn't injured in need of help. I was dead in need of life. It's way worse than you think. Just like Paul, just like you, we all need this grace and the life that comes through this authentic gospel that radically transforms us. Now, perhaps most of us aren't as bad as Paul Maybe we haven't violently opposed the church. 
But all of us are still in desperate need of grace, no matter how young or old you are, how much life you've lived, no matter what you've done. So let me ask you, has your life been radically transformed by grace? Has Jesus invaded your life? If not, listen, you remain dead in your sin. But like God did for Paul, he's calling you to come alive. He's calling you to come alive in and through Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've rejected God with your words, with your actions, with your thinking, with your living, no matter what you've done, God is calling you just like he did Paul to himself. So if that's you, turn away from your sin. Turn away from your rebellion. Confess it to God and place your faith in the real and risen Jesus. And if you have questions about what that means, there's a room full of people that would love to journey with you in that. There'll be some people down front after the service. We'd love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. For those of you who have been made alive in Christ because you've received, because you've believed the authentic gospel, keep coming back to it. You know, sometimes our zeal for, zeal for Christ can fade and the flame of faith can grow dim. I've had many moments like that in my life as a follower of Jesus, even as a pastor. But when we come back to the authentic gospel, to its source, to its message, to its effects, when we remember who we once were and who we are now, we are warmed by grace and reinvigorated toward faith and faithfulness in all areas of our lives, seeking to be servants of Christ at work and at school and at home and in our community and in our church. So together, let's encourage one another to fix our eyes on Jesus and seek to live lives that glorify God, that who you are in front of your neighbors, in front of your family and your coworkers points people to the real and risen Jesus and the reality of the gospel, not because you're perfect. See grace. You need grace, not because you're perfect, but because they see something different in how you live and what you love. The fruits of the Spirit are evident in your life. Love and joy and patience and kindness. They see you quick to repent and ask for forgiveness. They see your servant-heartedness towards them and towards others. A transformed life, not a hypocritical life, not a superficial life, but a genuinely transformed life is the best testimony to the reality of grace and the gospel. No one can deny that. And people all around you need to see it and hear all about it. If we think back to Paul, who was arguably one of the most unlikely converts to come to faith in Jesus. After all, he wasn't just ignoring Jesus, he was actively seeking to take down his followers. If the message of the authentic gospel and God's grace can radically transform Paul's life, then your coworker or neighbor, your family member or friend, maybe a, one of your kids, who seems so, so far away from repenting and believing, listen, they're not too far gone. They're not too far outside of God's ability to redeem. So listen, if, if you have someone coming to mind right now, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep sharing the hope you have in the one who changed your life. And like the Judean church, we will glorify God because of those stories of grace too.
Brothers and sisters, the real, true, authentic gospel really does transform everything. So let's press into it all the more and share it with our neighbors and the nations. After all, it really is amazing grace. Amen. As a first response to the preaching of God's word, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together now. And this communal meal is a means of grace to remind and refresh us in the reality of the authentic gospel and its radical effects. As we eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken and given for us, and as we drink the cup, a picture and symbol of Jesus' blood shed for us, we're given the chance in this moment to remember who we once were and to remember who we are now because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus and Jesus alone. So for those of you that will eat and drink today, let me encourage you to take time to reflect on that reality, to reflect on the radical grace you've received, not because you deserved it, but because that's who God is. And may it compel you to go and share it with others this week. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then you can come to any of the stations around the room. There's four up front, two in the back here, and then two along the railing in the balcony. If you'd like to sit for a little bit and pray and reflect, worship, you can do that. If you'd like to come forward and get the elements and then return to your seat to spend some time communing with God, you can certainly do that. We want you to feel the freedom in this moment to commune with God surrounded by your brothers and sisters who are on this journey with you. But as you come to the table, hear what Jesus has done for you, spoken over you by your brothers and by your sisters as they serve you. But listen, this is a meal for those who have genuinely repented and believed the gospel and are following Jesus. So if you haven't done that, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, instead of coming forward to take these elements, we just invite you to hang out in your seat. Just spend time thinking about what's been said this morning. If you're ready to take that step of turning away from sin and placing your faith in Jesus, then take Jesus today. And then come and let us know, like I said, and we would love to help you on that journey. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God of infinite, radical grace, we thank you for the life-saving, life-transforming reality of the gospel. Help us to remember it. Help us to stay rooted in it. Help us to re rejoice in how it has changed us forever and eternally changed us. And God, we pray that as we think on that and as we reflect on that and as we rejoice in that, that you'd empower us and compel us to go, to go and tell others all about it, testifying to its reality with our words and with our lives. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Christ to us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.